of the first successful uh, direct democracy campaigns that pro-lifers did actually took place in Colorado. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is Michael New. He's a visiting assistant professor of social research and political science at Catholic University of America, and also associate scholar with the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Washington, D.C. And Michael, thanks for joining us today. Ah, thanks for having me. So maybe a little bit about your background uh, and, and really about the, and I'm not sure if everybody knows about the Charlotte Lozier Institute. So how does that focuses on pro-life issues, and uh, what is your association with them? Well, I'm an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Uh, we were founded about in 2012, uh, essentially for a very long time. People who conducted research on sanctity of life issues need to rely on data from a place called the Guttmacher Institute. Right. And right. Guttmacher was, part for a long time, part of Planned Parenthood, um, I think up until about 2006, 2007, they're a group that has a very strong bias in favor of legal abortion and in favor of contraception programs. And pro-lifers felt that we need our own team of experts uh, to really um, analyze some of the studies that are put out and conduct our own research. So we launched a pro-life think tank called the Lozier Institute in 2012. Uh, we're affiliated with the Susan B. Anthony List, whose goal is to elect uh, more pro-life women. So we have a team of scholars uh, covering a range of disciplines, uh, I work on the social science of this issue. I research and write about public opinion and abortion trends and pro-life laws. We have people who are lawyers. We have people who work on public health. We have theologians, the- theologians, I should say, uh, philosophers. So we have a, a range of experts. Um, you can look us up online. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We can be followed on Twitter, at Lozier Institute. So we have research and analysis of sanctity of life issues. Uh, we publish frequently. And I think we're a good resource for pro-lifers. Well, it is a great resource, and I highly recommend people go on the website and check it out and follow you on social media as well. So how did you become aware of what was going on in Colorado? A couple of reasons. Just following uh, the news reports, you know, I've always interested in, in state politics. Uh, it's interesting. Before I really started uh, doing a lot of writing and research on uh, sanctity of life issues, I did a fair amount of writing and research on direct democracy. In fact, I have a Ph.D. in political science, and uh, much of my dissertation actually dealt with uh, direct democracy. So I've been kind of following the efforts of pro-lifers to use direct democracy to try to enact the pro-life laws. And I came across this Colorado campaign, and I thought it was interesting. You know, based on the research that I've done, I think one of the first successful uh, direct democracy campaigns that pro-lifers did actually took place in Colorado. Uh, in 1984, uh, Colorado voters approved Initiative 3 uh, that prevents taxpayer funding of elective abortions through the state Medicaid program. And again, I think cutting off taxpayer funding for abortions is one of the best things pro-lifers can do from a policy standpoint. Uh, I think that certainly has saved thousands of lives in Colorado. Uh, my research indicates it probably saves about 1,500 lives every year, 40,000 lives since it took effect in 1985. So I'm always kind of intrigued whenever pro-lifers try to use direct democracy uh, to enact pro-life laws. We've not been successful everywhere, but we do have some success stories, and I think it's a good tool for us to use in certain states, especially states where Democrats control uh, one or both branches of, of government. Yeah, because I've been kind of checking it out as well, and I noticed that you know in a lot of states, 
they're able to go through the legislative process uh, because they have friendly legislators. But, you know, in, in Colorado, you really your only hope is to do a ballot initiative and have the people vote on it because it would be DOA taken to the, the state house, especially any time in the past and probably in the in the upcoming future, too, I would guess. You're right. And, um, you know, essentially it's unfortunate because sometimes, you know, when Democrats control the state legislature, you know, even pro-life bills that are popular and would enjoy majority support, you know, they won't vote on and they won't even hold hearings. And, again, I think there's a very good body of research from a range of polling firms that shows that late-term abortions, you know, are unpopular, uh, even in purple states, even in blue states. Yeah. So, again, I think just bypass the legislature and taking the case right to the people, I think, is a very smart, very shrewd move uh, by pro-lifers. And I was happy to give this campaign some some attention. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing that. And for those who'd like to read the article, it's called An Important Pro-Life Opportunity in Colorado. And you can go to the National Review and just look it up. It is really good. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, what happened in 1984, because I think when people go back and look, it narrowly passed. And that was back in 1984. So I think people need to understand we have our work cut out for us. But the other piece is, and I think you brought it up as well, that I think is really important. A majority of the people think there should be some restrictions on abortion. And here in Colorado, uh, you even mentioned uh, the abortionist up in Boulder who does abortions up until the minute of birth. So people have been coming here during this uh, pandemic from other states. I know I've seen some advertisements or promotions from the, the pro-death side saying that, you know, we're a destination place for women wanting to come to Colorado to kill their babies. And I think that's, yeah, that's people ought to know that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's tragic. I mean, I've heard anecdotes similar. I think the, I've heard stories of women from Texas yep. who made the trip from, to Colorado. Um, and I mean, it's unfortunate there's help available in Texas, you know, uh, I'm encouraging pro-lifers to help out their local pregnancy help centers, that they're doing great work. Uh, but a lot of women and a lot of people in general are facing some financial strain with the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, economics doesn't necessarily motivate everybody who obtains an abortion, but it does, you know, it's a concern for some people and causes some people to consider an abortion who otherwise would not. And help is available. And uh, I am encouraging pro-lifers that pregnancy help centers are still open, still helping people. They deserve our support. And, again, it's just unfortunate seeing women having to travel out of state uh, when there is good resources available in, in their home state. Right. And, you know, at the time of this recording, we're still collecting signatures, but the numbers are coming in and they're really good. I, I would suspect there will be no problem getting on the ballot. We will get the numbers and then the fight's really on because you're going to be fighting. Planned Parenthood is going to pump millions of dollars into Colorado because they don't want to lose one of their flagship states uh, to start restricting abortion when it's been pretty much unlimited since 1967, other than the initiative you mentioned in terms of the funding piece of it back in 1984. Right. So essentially, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy, even though right. polling data suggests that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people oppose late-term abortions. They're going to come up with, you know, unique scenarios, uh, you know, where that might, you know, persuade some people in some circumstances. Uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Uh, we're going to have to be on the ground, knocking on doors, you know, people have to give financially. I mean, finances play a big role in, you know, who often wins these ballot campaigns. This doesn't mean you have to spend more money, but it does need, mean that we need to raise enough to be at least visible and make our argument. So essentially, this is not going to be easy. You know, uh, the signatures are an important hurdle. That's just the first hurdle. You know, the campaign is going to last for a while. Uh, the other side will be 
motivated. And again, we just need to, you know, be active, be engaged, do whatever volunteer efforts we can engage in, whether it's going door to door, whether it's giving financially. Uh, people need to step their game. It's an exciting opportunity, and it's one I hope that Colorado pro lifers take advantage of. Jesus, sound like you've been through this once or twice, Michael. Um, well. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm always happy to, to be of service to people who, uh, you know, need need help. And, um, you know, again, I've written a lot about direct democracy, and, you know, I kind of know how these, these things work. And, you know, I know these, you know, these fights are, are intense. So, um, you know, again, I just think that it's important that people need to be engaged from now until, until November. Well, and I think it's important, like, people like yourself bringing it up nationally, because I think it can become a national issue. Uh, especially since, you know, we know what the legislative makeup here is in Colorado and to go through a ballot and a vote process. Uh, I think the stakes are high on both sides. I agree. It's going to be a slugfest. Uh, you know, we're getting on the ballot is like just making it to the playoffs. We have not won the Super Bowl. It just gives us an opportunity to keep playing. And I think uh, I, I would think nationally people will will pay attention to this. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I think this is the first time that I can see we've really had a uh, a 20 week uh, ban, or I guess it would be a 22 week ban. 22, yeah. Um, yeah, 22 on the ballot. I mean, we've had some success with parental involvement laws uh, lately. We've uh, been able to get use direct democracy uh, to enact parental involvement laws in Florida, Alaska, Montana. Uh, a couple of years ago, West Virginia did stop taxpayer funding of elective abortions through their state Medicaid program. Um, so this is a kind of a new terrain for us as far as using direct democracy. But if it succeeds, you know, it could catch on elsewhere. I mean, um, over 20 states uh, have some kind of initiative uh, process in place where people can take, take things to the ballot directly. So if it passes in Colorado, it could catch on. We do know that people tend to emulate successful ballot initiatives elsewhere. Sometimes it just takes, you know, a, a win in one place. You know, in 1978, uh, Colorado voters passed Prop 13, uh, the big property tax cut. And you saw a bunch of states after that pass different kinds of budget rules, fiscal limits, property tax cuts. So sometimes when there's a successful campaign, it you know triggers some copycats. And I hope that happens. I hope that uh, a lot of people copy these ideas. That I think that it'd be great to see more uh, folks use direct democracy to protect the preborn uh, in their respective states. Well, and you know, I mean, good grief! If we can't defend the most defenseless, then we really have a problem. But one of the you know pleasant things that we've seen because we've checked you know for people who sign you know we have double digit support with democrats on on this so far of people who have signed the ballot uh the same with independents so i think we're seeing a broad-based support and you know we've seen nationally that uh pro-life democrats really feel alienated don't they i mean everybody running of course now we're down to one but uh everybody that was running for president on the democratic side was trying to outdo themselves in terms of uh, making abortion unlimited and easy and paying for it. I mean, there was nobody willing to stand up for the pro-life Democrats, were there? That was really disappointing watching the Democrats run for president. I mean, it was really disappointing seeing so many of them ban the Hyde Amendment. I mean, many Democrats used to think abortion should be legal, but at least not funded with taxpayer dollars. Right. That's out the window now. I mean, Joe Biden flipped and now opposes the Hyde Amendment. So he thinks that not only should abortion be legal, but it should be funded uh, with taxpayer dollars through the Medicaid program, uh, at least for, for low-income women. So um, you know, that was just really disheartening. It was also just, I thought, puzzling that you literally had over 20 Democrats running for president, and no one was willing to do or say anything different. You Many of these Democrats are polling, you know, 1 or 2%. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, you're not going to break out of the pack doing what everybody else is doing. You might break out of the pack doing something different. Why right. not 
No, support the Hyde Amendment. Why not support a ban on late-term abortion? You know, you're 1%. You're not going to lose anything <laughs> by doing something a little bit different. So I just thought it was just remarkable that no one was willing to kind of cross the party line and, you know, do much of anything that might intrigue or interest pro-life voters. And, you know, my friend uh, Kristen Day, who runs Democrats for Life, yeah. you know, everything's kind of sensitive to how you, you know, ward polling questions. But anywhere from about 25% to 33% of Democrats, you know, identify as pro-life. That's millions of voters out there, yeah, and no one's really speaking to them. So I think there's a, a lot of people who you know may not agree with Republicans on uh, economic issues, but are certainly pro-life. And I'd like to see some candidate take advantage of that at some point. But this campaign is great because you know people can just sort of vote the issue. They don't have their, it's not tied in with voting Republican or voting for other issues that people you know may or may not agree with about. This is about life and the sanctity of life. So those pro-life voters who may not be wild about the candidates running statewide or nationally can you know, support this. And that's a good opportunity for them to uh, to engage. Well, and I think, you know, I, I appreciate bringing it up because we had Kristen on the show probably a month or two ago and, you know, lamenting the fact that, uh, you know, she really was trying to push those that were running uh, mm-hmm. to support life. And she couldn't get, you know, a foothold anywhere uh, and it is, you know, there are a lot of disenfranchised people who, look, in the end, if we can't defend life, it's really hard to have a conversation on anything else. I mean, minimum wage, yeah, that's important. Immigration, yeah, we need to have that conversation. But when you can't even defend the most defenseless, and look, nationally, we've even gotten into the conversation of infanticide, right? I mean, we've well, even gone beyond aborting a baby in the mother's womb. It's what do we do once once they're born? Do we want them? Yep. No, and I think that you know a lot of Democrats even you know wouldn't uh, wouldn't oppose a bill that would you know ban infanticide, or you know went ahead and uh, opposed a bill uh, that would basically ban ban infanticide. That was just just tragic. I mean, you know, I, I even remember putting on Twitter that you know I can't believe I'm now thanking people for uh, you know banning infanticide. But it's 2020, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if somebody had told us this, you know, 15 years ago, we'd have said you're nuts. We're never getting to that stage, but. You know, you can almost ne- you can never say never because every time you think uh, we can't go somewhere, we we somehow manage to do it. Now, earlier you mentioned the Hyde Amendment, and so mm-hmm. people need to realize elections have consequences. And mm-hmm. depending on you know, it's not only what's just happening here in Colorado, right? We have a presidential election. You know, millions more people are going to come out and vote. I mean, what's at stake if we lose the Hyde Amendment? You know, the Hyde Amendment is, you know, one of the best public policies that we pass every year. What the Hyde Amendment does, it limits the ability of the federal government to pay for abortions through the Medicaid program. And, you know, Medicaid is a little bit complicated because it's both the federal program and the state program. So every state has a Medicaid program. Uh, I think Washington, D.C. has one. New York City's program might be a little bit separate from the rest of New York State. Basically, every state has a Medicaid program. And it's up to the state who to cover and what is covered and typically the federal government uses their own money to kind of match uh, the state money that's put into Medicaid. And during 1976, uh, pro-lifers passed something called the Hyde Amendment. And what the Hyde Amendment does is it limits the ability of federal taxpayer dollars to fund elective abortions through the Medicaid program. And this was first passed in 1976. There was litigation, and it was upheld in 1980. And it was one of our first kind of wins at the Supreme Court since Roe. They said, yeah, abortion's legal, but we're not going to make people pay for it through federal taxpayer dollars. And there's a very, very broad body of research that shows that, again, you cut off public funding, you cut off taxpayer funding from abortion, abortion numbers go down. Uh, even groups that support legal abortion agree. Uh, Center for Reproductive Rights did a study in 2010. They found the Hyde Amendment has stopped a million abortions since 1976. I did a study for the Lowe's Institute. 
in 2016, the 40th anniversary of the Hyde Amendment. I find it saved over 2 million lives since that time. Uh, Guttmacher, which again is Planned Parenthood, used to be Planned Parenthood's research arm. They try to downplay the impact of what a pro-life was. Their own research acknowledges the Hyde Amendment stops about 30,000 abortions every year. And I think that number is, you know, low, but still. But they're, but they're acknowledging there's, it makes a difference. But yeah, a difference and a big difference, a right. trivial difference. So again, uh, and the sad thing is that, you know, some Democrats, you know, at one point, did support the Hyde Amendment, but that's not the case anymore. The Democratic Party has really moved to the left on this issue pretty aggressively. Every Democrat running for president, uh, you know, opposed the Hyde Amendment, uh, including Joe Biden. So again, there's a chance if Democrats, you know, have control of Congress and Joe Biden's like the president of the United States, you know, the Hyde Amendment might go by the wayside, and you're talking about tens of thousands of more abortions every year. So the stakes are really high this election. You know, a vote for, you know, the Democrat is not necessarily a vote for the status quo. They're going to push the ball in the other direction. And again, voters need to be aware of this. Well, we saw in the House this year, right, they passed the Equality Act, which was anything but an Equality Act. And if they're willing to go that far and, you know, dictate, you know, who you have to accept, what you have to do, uh, and then the penalties for it, then the Hyde Amendment is almost like an afterthought. I mean, there'd be no question that would disappear, correct? Absolutely, yep. So what does your polling show? Have you guys done any polling? What, what do Americans think about the Hyde Act? I mean, have, they done any, have you guys done anything recently that people think, we still shouldn't be paying for this? No, I mean, basically, the support, you know, very, well, I won't say very few, but certainly most Americans oppose, or at least a plurality oppose, taxpayer funding uh, of abortions, or at least taxpayer funding for, for elective abortions. You know, it's interesting. I did write up a memo. Uh, the one candidate we kind of thought, the one Democrat we thought might be persuadable was Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Earlier in her political right. career, she right. was pro-life, and she switched sides, and we thought we had some people on her team that might listen to us. So I remember I wrote actually a memo for her in her campaign, and I looked at all the polls, you know, that looked at taxpayer funding of abortion that I could find. I didn't just pick the ones that I thought were most sympathetic. I looked at ones that worded it all kinds of ways, like even Medicaid coverage of abortion, ways that kind of didn't necessarily include the taxpayer funding component. But no matter what way the poll was worded, clearly, pluralities of Americans, in most cases, a majority, oppose taxpayer funding for abortion. I looked at least five or six different polls taken in the past couple of years. It didn't really matter how the question was worded. Uh, it really clearly showed that Americans don't want their taxpayer dollars paying for elective abortions. So, um, you know, again, I think the data is very clear about that. I think that's a, a very good campaign issue for President Trump. I think it's a very good campaign issue for other Republicans running. Uh, I think people just need to drill that home. The Democratic Party, many of these candidates, not only think abortion should be legal, it should be paid for with taxpayer dollars. I think that's a winning issue. I just think we need to repeat that now until election day. Well, and I mean, and their party platform is basically: look, if you're not into you know abortion at any stage, then we really don't have room for you. I mean, is that basically the message? We talked about pro-life Democrats, but I mean, isn't that the message to anybody who's even kind of on the fence? Either you're with us, or hey, get out. We don't need you. Right. I mean, it's, I think that you know their treatment of say Congressman Dan Lipinski, who was one of the remaining pro-life Democrats in Congress. You know, his uh, opponent was, you know, a woman named Marie Newman, uh, was very well funded. You know, the Democratic Party didn't really rush to Dan Lipinski's defense. You know, in fact, a lot of sitting Democrats, uh, usually kind of, um, you know, typically incumbents are endorsed by their colleagues. Uh, but many flipped and endorsed his primary opponent, Marie Newman. You know, they made it very clear that Lipinski was not welcome in the Democratic Party because of his pro-life stance. And, 
And it was even interesting, getting back to, to Kristen Day, she had a chance to, at a forum, to ask uh, Pete Buttigieg a question. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, mayor of South Bend, who was running for president. And her question was, you know, would he be willing to go back and put some language on the platform, not necessarily changing policy, just acknowledging this is like a difficult issue and there's people of goodwill on both sides. And the Democratic Party up until about 2016 had platform language that just acknowledged you know, that pro-life Democrats are part of the party, and we acknowledge, you know, their good intentions and their people of goodwill. He wouldn't even agree to that. I mean, not only will they not do anything about public policy, right. they won't even include platform language, even just welcome pro-life Democrats participate. It's just very clear that, you know, the Democratic Party just seems to be making it clear and clear that pro-lifers simply are not welcome. You know, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. The polls are going against you. I mean, you have millions of pro-life Democrats. I mean, and you mentioned it earlier, right? I mean, it just seems to make logical sense that if 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 you started making some strides in that way, you'd almost be unbeatable if you became pro-life Democrat. Uh, you would you would probably win in a landslide, but they just can't see the forest from the trees. Well, I think there's a couple of things at play. I mean, first off, you know, the other side has a lot of money. And, you know, candidates need campaign donations. And people support legal abortion and Emily's List, NARAL, Planned Parenthood. They do plow a lot of money into a lot of campaigns of a lot of Democrats. Another thing is that, you know, even though as a whole uh, people oppose you know, late-term abortions and they oppose tax-free funding of abortions, you do see the Democratic Party, the, kind of the demographic shifting there a bit. For a long time, kind of uh, part of the constituency of the Democratic Party was kind of these older Democrats who came of age during the Great Depression right. and World War II. And these Democrats tended to be fairly, you know, moderately liberal on economic issues. They wanted good public services. They wanted Social Security and Medicare. But they were fairly socially conservative. This generation's kind of passed away. If you were 10 when the Great Depression happened, you're probably in your late 90s or even over 100 now. So kind of a generation of older, more conservative Democrats has passed away. They're replaced by this younger generation. It's a lot more liberal, a lot more secular, a lot more aggressive on social issues. These folks vote in primaries, and it kind of distorts things a bit. Yeah. So you need to win the primary to kind of get to the general election, and sometimes small contingents of voters can carry a lot of weight in the primary because a lot of primaries are kind of low turnout affairs. So I think that's kind of distorting the process a bit. But still, I think that what the Democrats are doing is very unwise. Um, again, most people don't support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. They don't support taxpayer funding of elective abortions. Uh, I just think what they're doing is really, really uh, unwise. Well, I mean, it may it may end up benefiting, you know, even what's happening here in Colorado in the long run, because the more extreme, the more you kind of... Uh, you know, show yourself. It's, you know, the emperor's new clothes. You kind of are who you are when you've when you've gone to that extreme. You can't hide behind anything. Uh, it really is. Are you aware, because I've looked and I haven't seen anything, are you aware of any other ballot initiatives in any other states trying to do what they're doing in Colorado? Um, to be honest, no, I'm not. Um, okay. I haven't either. You know, it's, you know, such a lot of these things come up when people are frustrated with the whole kind of legislative process or when there's a court decision that's kind of been blocking them that they need to amend the Constitution and, um, you know, just legislation won't work. So I'm really unaware of any other state doing what Colorado's doing, but uh, that's great. Colorado can be a pioneer and other states can follow. Well, you know, it's become known as the destination place if you want to kill your baby. We need, it'd be nice to be known as the state now that realizes they've made a mistake and they need to defend the lives of the most innocent, uh, especially those 
uh, who, if born, would be able to survive. And that's that's the most probably appalling thing. I mean, there should be no abortion, period. I mean, we you know, the Respect Life Office is constantly working on trying to educate. But to think that, you know, we can't even agree that if a baby was born that it deserves to be able to live like you and I and everybody else who's listening uh, is really almost unfathomable. Yeah, again, it's, you know, and it's just, you know, unfortunately, this should be a bipartisan issue. And even, you know, I'm old enough to remember the whole debate over the partial birth abortion ban. And, you know, that was something that did attract support for a lot of Democrats that, uh, you know, um, in the 90s when this first came up, you know, a lot of Democrats, even pro-choice Democrats, recoiled from this. They said, you know what, having a baby partially delivered and then aborting it, that's just that's just too much. And, uh, you know, it wasn't even majority of Democrats, but we had some support amongst Democrats, these partial birth abortion bans. You know, now the party is just, you know, flipped on us. And again, it's just unfortunate. It's not more bipartisan, but you know, we just have to make inroads wherever we can. And, you know, the legislature is kind of shutting things off for us. Again, direct democracy is a good alternative. And again, I'm very glad the caller or pro-lifers are uh, pursuing this. Well, and I, I really appreciate you bringing this up on a national level, uh, hopefully bring more awareness and, and, and funding, to be quite honest, right? Because you're going to be fighting, uh, you know, yeah. Goliath. Yeah, people need to be generous and supportive and, you know, fund this, you know, the best of their ability. You know, that, again, we don't necessarily need to raise more money, but we need to raise enough to be visible. Right. So, again, you know, small contributions do add up. And, you know, I will make a donation. And I would challenge your listeners to do the same. So how can people follow what you're doing, Michael? Uh, a couple ways. Easiest way to follow me is on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Michael underscore J underscore new. So that's at Michael underscore J underscore new. I'm on Twitter. People can also reach out to me, friend me on Facebook. Um, Michael knew if you're pro-life, we probably have some friends in common, so I'm not that hard to find. And when I do write something, I put it out on Twitter and I circulate it on social media. So that's probably the best way folks to get a hold of me. Uh, I can also be just reach on email if people have questions or if I can be of service. I don't mind responding to email. I'm michael.j.new at gmail.com. And uh, if people have questions about anything, I'm happy to try to be of service. So um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Well, again, thank you for all you're doing, bringing this on a national level. I know you've been on EWTN and talked to their news and and really keep people abreast of all the the pro-life situations. So, Michael, thanks again for all you're doing and appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today. Uh, Happy to do it, and I'll keep writing about this, and uh, hopefully we'll have a great celebration victory in uh, November. November 3rd. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, Michael. God bless. God bless.